Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're going to talk about something that is important for all of us, the safety and prevention of accidents at the workplace, uh, which is a subject that we're all concerned about. Accidents and violation of safety regulations can be disastrous, not only for those workers and workplaces that are directly affected, but also to society as a whole and to each one of us. It can be loss of human life or loss of public confidence in these services. Um, examples reported in the news are many, from the death of mine workers to unsafe, due to unsafe mining practices, to death of subway workers due to failure to follow regulations in maintenance work, or even cases of food poisoning due to failure of restaurant workers to observe safety regulations in preparation of food. So today you're going to get a chance to hear about how ACT may be used to increase safety behaviors at the workplace. Our guest, who you have heard on this program two times before, is Dr. D.J. Moran, who has been developing and implemented ACT programs in a variety of workplaces. D.J. is the Senior Vice President of Quality Safety Edge and the founder of Mid-American Psychological Institute. DJ has just finished a new book that has come out called Building Safety Commitment. You can read more about DJ and his new book by clicking on his name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Her to Hope. Welcome, DJ. I am very happy to be here. Thanks a lot, Joanne. DJ, I know it's 7 a.m. in the morning there. You must be an early bird to get up and talk with me. And uh, I, When you work uh, in construction like I used to as a uh, young adult and now as a safety consultant, 7 a.m. is sometimes when we start actually working. So I'm okay with it. Thanks, though. DJ, this is a very unusual area for ACT. I mean, mostly we... Um, you know, clinicians are working with, uh, you know, in psychological clinics or in hospitals. This is a very, very different area. It's, you, you are a pioneer in this area. I appreciate you saying that. I wanted to take ACT into a unique direction, and uh, I'm glad that I found a niche where it seems like it could be helpful and applicable. And, and so how, what, what got you interested in, in this particular area of behavior safety at the workplace? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting. My uh, brother-in-law works for a big construction company in Chicago, and he said, listen, DJ, I understand from talking to your wife, my sister, Jen, uh, that you're good at working with kids with autism, and uh, you're able to help out folks with schizophrenia become more functional, and you help out individuals with depression and obsessive-compulsive disorder. You change their behavior for the better. So let me ask you something. 
If you can help the behaviors of people dealing with those kinds of concerns, do you think that you can help my construction workers remember to wear their hard hats? And I said, <laughs> well, you know, that's an interesting application of, of the behavioral work that I do. There's no precedence in the literature, but let me give it a shot. So I started to look into how do behavioral scientists address safety in the workplace? Yeah. And there is actually a good literature called behavior-based safety. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a good interaction, it's a good intervention um, that, that reduces injuries in the workplace. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to supplement behavior-based safety with what I understood about acceptance and commitment therapy. Well, we're going to hear more about that a little later on the program, DJ. But, but tell us, how, how big a problem is actually this of accidents at the workplace? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, and I think it isn't broadcasted well enough, there are about 13 people that die every day just in the United States alone because they're on the workplace. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's actually, yeah, that's actually an improvement compared to past years. It's been getting better. But 13 people a day is still far too many. Um, worldwide, 2.2 million people die a year wow. because of injuries and work-related illnesses. And I, I'd like to see, you know, what can I do in order to contribute to that? What what kind of tiny sliver of a fraction can I do in order in order to help that by talking about mindfulness and, and talking about motivation and values-based motivation? How can we get people to be committed to safety? Yeah. So, t it DJ, how does ACT approach this problem? Like, how, how do you think about it from an ACT perspective? Yeah. The idea of bringing ACT training to the workplace is about improving something called situational awareness, mm -hmm. which is just a more industrial term for mindfulness. It's also interested in improving motivation to act safely. Now, there's already some motivation to act safe on the job because if you're not compliant with the safety rules, you can get fired. Mm -hmm. But that's just compliance. We don't want just compliance. We would also like commitment. People who will work safely even if no one's watching. Mm -hmm. So we try to bridge the idea of being more mindful or situationally aware, paying attention to what you're doing in a dynamic workplace with values-based motivation. And we also give other skills from the ACT interventions that help people focus on what they're doing and commit to acting safely. And, and so, DJ, why, why, why do people not do this? Well, I don't think it's conventional as much to work safely because of your values, because it just doesn't get spoken about very often. Um, you know, I remember the first time I ever gave the ACT workshop for safety, a guy came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, people don't talk to guys like us in this way. We're always being told what to do and mm -hmm. how to do it. Mm -hmm. but not why we would want to do it a certain way. Mm -hmm. And he really was very appreciative to to make safety personal. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm the only one in the world to have ever done this, but it's just unconventional mm -hmm. to make safety 
personal. It's usually comply with the rules or you'll get in trouble. You'll get a pink slip. You'll get fired. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That That's similar to some other research. For example, why would you want to quit smoking or uh, or you know, other health things that are not healthy for you to find it seems to be something similar that, that – it's better to help people actually get it, have their personal valued reason why they would do it rather than a general standard scaring them with propaganda. Right, absolutely. You know, you should quit smoking because you are now a pariah or because your doctor says you have to or because, you know, there are warning labels on the side of the packet. But what about your own health? What if you made the personal choice to do this based on your own motivations? I imagine that that would help that person commit to quitting smoking for a longer period of time. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So what, DJ, what areas have you applied these ideas to in, in your work? I've been very fortunate to work for Quality Safety Edge, it's an international behavior-based safety company. They've sent me literally, you know, to, to international clients that I never really thought I'd ever go to these countries, but I've been in uh, oil and gas fields in uh, Kuwait and uh, Dubai. Um, I've been to manufacturing plants in Brazil, uh, worked with demolition crews all over the United States, a boilermaker company, uh, I've traveled with them, uh, paper mills, mines, power plants. It's been quite fascinating and a, and a major change from uh, working in my clinic. Wow, that must yeah. give you an, an incredible experience to get out and and see all these different places. And yes, it has been fantastic. I, I really enjoy the work. I, I enjoy uh, getting the feedback from the workers who find it helpful, and the the travel. I just I really like to see uh, different parts of the world and meet new people. Yeah, so that's a a, a huge variation. And, and how have workers of different places, different countries, different cultures and languages, how have they responded to this intervention? Much better than I had first imagined. Um, The first time I did this kind of safety workshop, I remember I had a room full of really big guys, Uh, (laughs) many of them with scowls on their faces when I walked in. They had big tattooed arms crossed in front of their chest, and they were wearing Harley Davidson shirts, <laughs> Fu Manchu mustaches, and I even heard one of them say, no shrink is going to get inside my head. <laughs> right before I had to give the talk, and, and after about uh, three hours of this, I said, guys, I'm not going to give you a questionnaire. I'm not going to ask for a big survey. I just want you to do one thing. There's, a, there's an index card in front of you. On a scale of one to five, just let me know how helpful today was. Five being a high score, one is it wasn't helpful to you at all. And the mode, the the, the more responses, the most responses I got were fives. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The overwhelming majority of them, I think the mean was somewhere in the four and a half. So most people gave me fives and lots and lots of people gave me four. So it was pretty remarkable that guys who, on average, I uh, followed up with a, with a second, uh, a second uh, workshop Found out, did a little bit of a survey, found out that guys who had about a high school education or lower really enjoyed it. On a scale of one to one to five, the average is about four and a half. So people are responding to the intervention very well. So uh, that would be interesting to hear how you do that, DJ, because I know that uh, you are a very talented uh, both lecture and um, and good with people because I, I watched you you and I worked in Sierra Leone and right. uh, I watched how you you're very you seem to be able to um, 
start at the level wherever you are and read off the context and then start from there. That's Of course, that's a skill to be able to do that. Well, quite honestly, Joanne, a lot of my ability to get the concepts across come from working with you and reading what you've done in the past. I really enjoyed working with you when we were in Africa together and, and, and you found out where the client or your audience was at, so to speak, and you took in some of their cultural ideas. I remember when we were in Sierra Leone, I mean, you brought in the idea of dance to uh, our workshops. And, you know, while I'm not, I'm not bringing any dance into these uh, construction <laughs> companies, but I just try. Luckily for me, it's easy for me. I was raised in a blue-collar neighborhood. I, I worked for a union for a while in New York City. I, I, I can speak the language. I don't mind dropping a, a vulgarity or a joke here and there. And uh, just try to resonate with with your audience. And I also turned act into something a little bit more simple. You know, we're not aiming for something called psychological flexibility mm-hmm. out loud. I don't go in there and say, guys, today we're going to work on your psychological flexibility. I don't <laughs> explain it like that. I mean, sure, maybe that's what happens uh, from a scientific point of view. But I, I make it about safety commitment. Now, that's actually a term that people throw around in blue-collar environments. I, mm-hmm. I make it the, the center of the hexagon model in ACT doesn't say psychological flexibility in, in the book or in my trainings. It says safety commitment. Mm-hmm. And I turn the hexagon model actually into a phrase. And that phrase is, I am here now, accepting the way I feel and noticing my thoughts while doing what I care about. Just repeat that one, one, one more time, DJ. Say that one simple phrase. I don't... I don't ask folks to memorize it, but mm-hmm. I just try to say, you know, this could be an attitude you bring to work. I am here now, accepting the way I feel, noticing my thoughts while doing what I care about. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a really, that phrase could be coined and used for many, many, many areas, DJ. I am here now, accepting the way I feel, noticing oh, my thoughts I'm, while I'm doing what I care about. Um. I think, Joanne, I'm sorry, I think we have a dropout. I haven't heard you in a little while. Okay. So, but DJ, how do you influence workers to use, for example, mindfulness in their daily work routine? Interesting I've- question. The idea is I don't usually like to call it mindfulness or meditation or anything along those lines. Because um, I think it it carries a little bit of baggage that might reduce people's interest in it. Mm-hmm. But what I do is I just call it situational awareness which is actually a term used in industrial organizational psychology. But even further along than that, I like to talk about famous people who they might respect who meditate. There are famous mixed martial artists who say stuff like, I enjoy meditation because it helps me focus on what I'm doing in the ring. And I talk about you know these cage fighters who use mindfulness exercises in order to be more situationally aware when they're in the middle of their match. And I say to them, you know, what would it be like if these fighters were all caught up in their head or thinking about what they're going to do later or thinking about something that happened yesterday when they're in the middle of their fight, when they're in the middle of a dangerous situation? The best fighters are in the here and now focused on what they're doing. And you can build that skill up. You can build up the skill of situational awareness by doing certain types of exercises. And then I explain 
mindfulness exercises without really using that term. How, how do you explain that mindfulness exercise? Could you have an example? Sure. I mean, they are the rather conventional ones. Um, you know, we, we do a breathing exercise where, you know, you close your eyes. I don't say you have to close your eyes. I invite them to do these exercises, of course. Um, it's this way they feel comfortable with it. And I say, if you don't want to close your eyes, keep your eyes, you know, affixed on some part of the room and just do one thing. Just do one single, solitary, exclusive thing only. Just pay attention to your breath. And we do it in a fun way where it's like, did you also have a thought while you were breathing? See if you can let that thought go and bring yourself back to doing just one thing. And then, did you have a memory? Did you have a judgment to show up? Did you have an urge to move or scratch your nose? Well, the invitation was just to do one single, solitary, exclusive thing only. See if you can bring yourself back to just pay attention to your breath. And folks seem to gravitate towards these kinds of things. One of the other examples that I like to use is <clears throat> asking some of my workers who travel around the country, they spend the evening in hotels because they work as like, let's say, migrant workers. I invite them, just take a minute, two minutes maybe, and take a lap around your hotel. Just go for a walk around your hotel, one full lap. And while you do it, just pay attention to what it feels like when your boots come in contact with the asphalt of the parking lot or the sidewalk. Just do that. And if your mind starts to wander, if you start thinking about other things, bring yourself back just to the sensation of when your boots touch the asphalt. And this is a variation off of an old Zen Buddhist idea of be mindful of when your foot pads kiss the earth. But mm -hmm. I would never say it like that to these guys, you know? <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, just do one thing, one exclusive behavior. And while you're doing it, if you get distracted, bring yourself back to paying attention to what you're doing. Because what mindfulness is, very briefly, well, I, don't, I can't define it very briefly, but what I'm trying to do with mindfulness very briefly is extend the duration of how long someone's paying attention to what they're doing mm -hmm. so they get less distracted in a dynamic work environment. Okay, so the... the, the uh aim of mindfulness would be help them to keep their focus rather than be that's, distracted. That's that's absolutely right. And I'm sh sure there are other reasons for mindfulness out there. There definitely are. And I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I am trying to make it practical for folks. That's wonderful, DJ. Well, how about values clarification? How, how does how would that work in this context? Right. Values clarification is a, is a part of the ACT model. And, and when we use it, my colleagues and I use it, um, in order to help out folks with safety, it's nice to talk about the difference between commitment and compliance. We start to ask questions, why do you personally benefit from acting safely? And then say, well, then I won't get fired. But what else besides not getting fired? And if that's, if that's your value because you want to keep your job, then that's fine. But some people report, you know, I have kids at home and I'm not here to work in a way that would jeopardize my ability to go home and visit my kids. That's actually a fairly tried and true um, intervention. I'm not saying, you know, ACT is the first on the scene with that kind of idea. There's a lot of 
safety programs out there that say, you know, act safely, not just not just because we tell you to, but it's this way you can go home to your family. That's pretty typical. But what I like to do a little bit extra is what else is there in the world that makes life meaningful and vital and purposeful for you? And can you realize that you're doing your behaviors of safety in the direction of what you care about, what's valuable to you? Mm-hmm. And the neat thing is about ACT is it helps break through where some folks might not have traditional values. I was working with a demolition company and the CEO said, you know, my guys don't resonate with being safe. So you go home with to your family. My guys work in very dynamic and dangerous environments. The kind of people who work for me live on the edge. They're like, to use a a metaphor. They're like the black hat wearing cowboys of the Wild West of the United States <laughs> from the 1800s. Nobody tells them what to do, and they're not going home to a white picket fence and a wife. Mm-hmm. In fact, what he said is, a lot of people who work for me work in a motorcycle gang, mm-hmm. and they have their own set of values. So I don't think your values directed safety is going to work with them. I said, let me give it a shot. And after a couple of you know days with them and it wasn't usually in a consultation room where we made our most headway a lot of times it was in a tavern we were talking about what do you care about you got to care about something and they say no nah, i don't care about very much when you hang out with people long enough you can find out that they do value something and what mm-hmm. they valued was independence mm-hmm. they valued their motorcycle club they they valued the brotherhood between each other in their in their motorcycle club. They didn't like being told what to do because they valued something called independence. Mm -hmm. Lots of people enjoy independence, but that's not the first reason why they act safely. But we found for this group of, of, of individuals who worked in a demolition company who spent most of their time in a motorcycle club, they just They really didn't want to be told what to do because they valued independence, which is values conflicting maybe with safety. But you can do a judo flip with it and say, how independent are you going to be if you fall from a 20-foot scaffold because you didn't wear your fall protection? How independent are you going to be when you're in a wheelchair because you didn't wear your hard hat and you got bashed on the head with an eye beam? How helpful are you going to be as a brother in your motorcycle club when you get injured because you weren't wearing your your proper personal protection, how, how, how independent are you going to be if you get injured? And it, it actually took root. Folks, even with unconventional values, can still have their values motivate them to do things that are healthy and safe. Wow, DJ, that's, I am so impressed at your creativity by f- figuring out values by hanging out with people and until you, you see, um, that values are very co- coherent with the values we talk about, but they look completely different. Right, right, totally. And it, it wasn't hard to, uh, to do that kind of work. They did invite me to, to do their values clarification exercises in a bar. So it wasn't <laughs> I'm totally impressed by your willingness to get out into these completely different areas and 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 figure out what works. That's that's really the core of act is workability right. and creativity. Absolutely. Thanks. DJ, um we're getting to the end of the program. Do you have an example of of any particular person or group where where you have 
that sticks out that you'd like to tell us about? My first foray into this was with a uh, that that group that I spoke about, my brother-in-law inviting me into, and we we got it a, a, across to the company after multiple workshops and and me actually working on site, following them around the country, doing the work with them, where they became more committed to safety. And as I talk about in the Building Safety Commitment book, commitment is doing what you care about even in the presence of obstacles. And when I trained that definition of commitment to this first construction group that I'm talking about, they became so committed that the only piece of data that they were keeping before I, I got on to uh, the company's um, program, the only piece of data they were keeping was how many safety meetings they were having. And you're supposed to have one at least every day, every shift. And sometimes they would, sometimes they wouldn't. What the CEO told me is that after about three months of doing building safety commitment trainings, they were actually having the safety program reliably every day prior to every shift and also a post-shift safety meeting. So it more than doubled. When they used to just have them every shift or so, they had a safety meeting pre-shift every time and then a post-safety meeting every single time. So their safety measure, how many times do they meet in order to discuss the job dynamics, more than doubled. And I would like to do more research on this. It's difficult to do it when you're um, you know, really working as a consultant. You can't turn everything into a research program. But it does seem like the different companies that I work with see the training as something that they can integrate into the safety programs that they already have developed. I'm mm -hmm. not teaching people about how to wear a hard hat. How do you put up scaffolding? How do you put on fall protection. They already have the training in that. Mm -hmm. But what, what safety commitment training is all about is how do you make sure people keep doing it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's been working out fairly well. That sounds wonderful. What advice, DJ, would you have for our listeners about safety behavior in their own workplaces that are listening right now? Yeah, I think that every workplace actually um, can benefit from a safety analysis, taking a look at uh, anything that recently happened where someone might have gotten injured. Um, OSHA, which is a uh, United States-based you know, uh, uh, governmental body, gives us guidelines on how do you act in even the office. There are actually office guidelines all the way to you know how do you act um, in construction companies and mining companies. I would first take a look at what should you be doing, what kinds of injuries are there in your line of work and then coming up with a program where everybody gets trained, everybody gets feedback when they aren't doing the safe behavior. And once you've gotten what you need to commit to, ACT can come in, ACT training can come in and say, now that you know what to do, you know what is right, here's how you stick with that kind of program. Okay, so your new book, uh, Building Safety Commitment, DJ, who was who the book written for? Frontline workers. I tried to make it as uh, simple as possible, uh, talking right to the employee, the person on the line, using the tools, doing all of the 
uh, work for a particular company. I okay. don't imagine that every frontline worker is going to read it in a company, but it also uh, would be written maybe for the safety rep or the managers this way they can get the ideas across to folks as well. Okay, so this book would be something you would recommend for people who are interested in in uh, increasing safety behavior at their workplace, and uh, and this book is a, is it available now? Yes, it's available now. Not only would I recommend it for people who are interested in safety. Honestly, this might seem a little grandiose, but if you're an ACT therapist or have any interest in ACT and you have a hard time explaining what you do to your dad or your mom and your uh, neighbors or somebody along those lines where it just seems like ACT is so esoteric, I did my level best to try to make this as conventional as possible. There's very little jargon. There's a lot of stories in it and metaphors that I think resonate with just about anybody. And it's not highbrow. It's just how do you apply this neat technology in order to keep a commitment? And it is available. It's available on Amazon. And it's also available through buildingsafetycommitment.com. Thank you very much for being on the program today, DJ. Thank you very much for having me. I'd, I'd just like to confirm what DJ said. If for I have not seen this book yet, but but um, DJ is absolutely wonderful at um, talking about difficult things in easy ways. So I'm I'm sure that this book for all act therapists could be a real resource. You have been listening to Dr. DJ Morian, who has been developing and implementing ACT programs in a variety of workplaces. DJ is the Senior Vice President of the Quality Safety Edge and founder of Mid-American Psychological Institute. His new book, which um, is available now, is called Building Safety Commitment. You can read more about DJ, his new book, by clicking on his name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Her to Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.